Good morning. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll get started. Father, we're very grateful for the sacrifice of your Son. We thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ. Father, I pray over the next few minutes that we would not be distracted. I pray, Father, that you would help me be clear and concise in your word. I thank you, Father, for a fellowship of friends. I thank you for this church family. I thank you, Father, for the intimacy that we share in Christ. Father, I pray that you would bless our time the rest of this morning. And Father, my prayer for us as a church and as a people this morning is that we would be a people of faith and a people of repentance. And I pray, Father, that we would walk in that. I lift up and turn over this time to you, Father. These things I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. We will finish the, uh, chapter 16 of the book of Luke this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 16. We'll be in verses 19 through 31. While you're doing that, if you are a guest with us this morning, we're certainly glad you're here. And we would like to know that you're here. So if you see the visitor card that's right in front of you, if you would like to be contacted, please fill that out and put that in the offering as it comes by. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, there are three primary satellite scriptures that we'll look at this morning. The first being in James 2.15, and then we'll look at Ecclesiastes 3, 19 through 21, excuse me, 19 through 20, and then we'll end with Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, if you'll remember in the beginning of Luke chapter 16, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he wanted them to be good stewards of their money. In other words, he wanted them to be shrewd with their resources. Now, after he finishes that parable and the parable of the unjust steward, he has about four verses there in which the Pharisees were making fun of him. And what they were making fun of him about was that Jesus and his disciples were poor men. And in their minds, Jesus was teaching on money. And so they laughed at him and they scoffed at him. He's coming off of verse 13 in Luke 16 where he says, you cannot serve God in money. So you can just imagine how offended the, how offended the Pharisees were. Because the Pharisees, they essentially ran with the paradigm that riches make righteousness, that their bank account was tied to their holiness, that they were that wealth was a mark of God's favor. And so Jesus, as he is standing there with his disciples and is being is being ridiculed, he answers and shares with with a with the disciples, knowing the Pharisees are standing there, another parable. And this parable in Luke chapter 16 is the, is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. 
And it's, a, and it's a parable about two men. It's about a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man ends up in hell. And the poor man ends up in heaven. So let's read the text. And then we'll walk through this parable together. We'll start reading in verse 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also, excuse me, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and sent Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool, and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you had your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. In verse 19, we begin to see how rich this rich man was. He was dressed in fine purple and fine linen. And in that day and time, if you had a white tunic or, and you had a white robe, that was a symbol of royalty it was a simple excuse me it was a symbol of being rich and the dye from this purple robe came from a shellfish from the city of Tyre off the coast and literally they would work to squeeze this purple dye into these robes and it was a painstaking effort it was very very expensive each shellfish yielded something like a drop so to have a robe of purple meant there was a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of expense. The text also mentions that sumptuous feasting went on. Feasting was something that happened in this culture on special occasions. If you'll remember in Luke chapter 15, the father killed the fatted calf for the son when he returned home. It was a special occasion. It wasn't something in this culture that they did every day. But yet in this parable, this rich man, he's feasting and every day. The text here lends to excessive consumption. 
Now in verse 19 through 21, we begin to see the contrast of these two men. Let's read verses 19 through 21 again because I want you to see this. I want this to become alive for you. It says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at this gate, or at his gate, was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Right here where it says laid, that means this guy has been put there. It's ongoing. He hasn't been there for a night. He's been there for a while. And he's probably going to be there. So he was laid at a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Interesting point. The rich people didn't use napkins when they were feasting. They used white bread. So literally, as they were eating with their hands, then they would take white bread, and they would rub their hands with the white bread. And then the white bread would fall into to the floor, and then it made crumbs. And that's what he's talking about here, that even Lazarus just wanted the crumbs from where the rich people had wiped their hands on the white bread. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The question I want to ask you guys this morning is, what is the main point of contrast between these two men? Why is it that one goes to heaven and one goes to hell? If you think the main difference is the rich man was wealthy, healthy, and popular, and Lazarus, the poor man, was sick, poor, and alone, then we've missed the point. This parable is not teaching that rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. This parable is teaching that riches do not make righteousness. In other words, wealth is no mark of God's favor. This is what Jesus wanted his disciples to hear as he answered the ridicule of the Pharisees. Jesus is redefining what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the light of the law and in the light of the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Luke 16, 15 to the Pharisees, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. This parable is defining what it truly means to trust in God or, or rely on worldly wealth. It's the difference between being named and being unnamed before God. This parable is the only parable which Jesus gives a character a proper name. Now most of us know there are scores of parables. And in those parables there are lots of figures. And none of the other parables does Jesus give anyone a proper name. Jesus usually refers to a father, a mother, a brother or a sister. A, a farmer or a sower or whatever. Only here does Jesus give one of his characters a name. And then in a contrasting point, he leaves the other character nameless. Why? Let's ask ourselves a question. Why did the rich man go to hell? Why did the rich man go to hell? The word Lazarus means God is my help. God is my salvation. 
God is my help. Lazarus has a name because God is his help. The rich man has nothing but the designation a rich man. What sends you to hell is not being rich or poor. It's who or what you trust in. What sends you to hell is making anything but God your help. To sit down, to rest in, or be content in, to rely on anything but God as your help. The reason the rich man doesn't have a name is because that's all he was. He was just a rich man. The reason the rich man, excuse me, if you make riches your help, if you make riches your point, if you make riches your salvation, if you make riches your God, if you make riches your identity, then that's all you are. Take away the riches, and there's nothing left. Lazarus, on the other hand, he just wanted to be fed by the crumbs of the rich man's table. He just wanted the crumbs of the white bread. And the dogs came by to lick his sores. And we don't have any indication that the rich man even noticed Lazarus. He was just left in his condition, left in his condition, suffering. He was ignored, left at the gate, just a companion of the dogs. This rich man violated and disregarded the second most important commandment of the law when Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Lazarus was so needy. He was so dependent. He depended on the saliva of the dogs to tend his wounds. Yet the rich man, the rich man passed by him probably every day at his gate. The rich man's indifference mirrored that of the Pharisees in how they treated people in society. Yet Lazarus considered, in all of his distress, that God was his help. Now there's nothing in this parable that condemns the rich man for being rich or, or praises the poor man, praises Lazarus for being poor. It's apparent that the rich man lives to be rich. And it's clear that the rich man's spirituality was hurt by his riches. It's also clear that the poverty of Lazarus worked to his spiritual welfare. Jesus points out in chapter, uh, excuse me, in Luke chapter 18, verse 25, another famous passage that we know. It says, for, if, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And you can see this, you can visualize this in the difficulty of the nameless rich man. Yet Lazarus turned his suffering towards heaven. What are you doing with your suffering? It's worth noting that Lazarus' poverty was an indirect blessing to him. 
In our context, we might have seen it as irredeemable. But God didn't. In Lazarus' suffering, he was forced to draw closer to God, yet the rich man was not. We need to consider, here is the difference between these two men. One was comfortable, one was very needy. The more comfortable you are, the less needy you are. The less needy you are, the less dependent on God you are. Now look at verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In both cases, both of these men died. In both cases, earthly life was terminated. Notice that the poor man died and was carried to Abraham's side. And the rich man died and he was buried. Lazarus was carried. The rich man was buried. Lazarus was carried. The rich man was buried. Again, we have another contrast between a rich man and a poor man. We have the pageantry of the rich man being buried in a proper burial. To understand this, Jewish culture put a lot of emphasis on proper burial. It was very important. Yet Jesus mentions nothing about Lazarus being buried. And the absence of him saying anything about that in the text, what that means is it symbolizes he was probably left to the dogs. He was probably left at that gate. In this setting, that would be like being cursed by God. But Lazarus was carried by angels to Abraham's side. In other words, someone that had been accepted by God. So the rich man is rejected. The poor man was accepted. The rich man was honored to the end. Yet Lazarus, he receives the final disgrace in that society. He's left at the gate. And he's left to the dogs. Now in verse 23, verse 23 says, In Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. The rich man is now confronted with his condition in hell. And he sees Lazarus at Abraham's side. Now just imagine in this particular setting, in this culture where riches lent to righteousness in their minds, in that paradigm, where wealth was seen as a mark of God's favor, imagine the surprise of this rich man finding himself in hell. In Jewish culture, Wealth was, was synonymous with success. Wealth indicated God's favor. It indicated righteous living. In Luke chapter 18, verse 26, following what Jesus had said about the, a rich man having the difficulty to enter the kingdom of God, the very next verse in uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 26 says, 
um, those who heard it said there can be, excuse me, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? In other words, the disciples, they were very surprised. Everyone in that culture and everyone in that context was surprised by what Jesus said because basically he's taken the paradigm of this society, of this, of this culture, and he's turning it upside down. It was part of the religious paradigm of the, of the Pharisees as lovers of money that wealth was an ultimate priority. It was, it was a semblance of significance. To understand the meaning at Abraham's side, we must understand in Jewish culture that the custom of reclining at a feast is parallel to dining in paradise or dining in heaven. The rich man was agonized by his condition in hell and Lazarus was comforted by his, in, by his intimacy and his condition in heaven. A bold contrast of two lives, two paths. One path relied on riches. One relied on God. How you see your money can affect your, your eternal destiny. The question is, is God your help? Look in verse 24. It says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip, the, to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you, that you in your lifetime received your good things. I want to point out a couple of things here on the side. It's not in my notes. Where he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus. When he says, Father Abraham, in this culture, he is presuming that he is a child of Abraham. Because of his wealth, because of his success, and because in Jewish culture, everybody thought they were a child of Abraham. But that's what's happening here, is Jesus is changing that paradigm. John the Baptist was the first preacher of the new covenant. And he comes in and he begins to plow a new path, a new paradigm. And then Jesus shows up. So he assumed that he was a child. Have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. Send Lazarus. He still sees Lazarus as a servant. And yet he is in hell. And I want you to see and think about the arrogance, the pride that this man has, that yet still in hell he is unrepentant. Send Lazarus to cool my tongue. Verse 24 reveals the distress of the rich man in hell. He's so distressed, he still thinks Abraham is his father and calls out for mercy. He calls out for the smallest request for just something, for some relief. He simply wants his tongue to be cooled. Look at the irony here. Look at the irony where Lazarus has begged for crumbs on earth and now the rich man the nameless rich man begs for a drop of water 
in hell. Envious, prideful, self-centered people never admit they're wrong. The rich man could have easily made friends with this poor man. Yet Lazarus was ignored. The rich man ignored the stewardship right in front of him. He wasted his possessions on himself. The man once revered by society is now despised by God. And the man once despised by society is now revered and blessed by God. In verse 25 and 26... But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus, Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you a great chasm is fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Abraham says you had your good things. This wealthy man had his good things and now he is being tormented in hell. He enjoyed his wealth and now he is reaping what he sowed. The rich man had the stewardship of wealth yet he ignored the obligation of generosity that comes with the stewardship of of that wealth. In other words, he had been unfaithful in much and unfaithful with much. A sin of omission. He had omitted Lazarus. Potentially he had, he had omitted others. He was encumbered by his wealth. And he failed to see his sin. His sin comes out in two ways that are really intertwined. The first way. He didn't depend on God. He had no name. He was just a rich man. He depended on his wealth. He made riches his point. He made riches his God. Number two, his second sin was he wasn't generous with Lazarus. He wasn't generous with others. Don't you see how these two sins go hand in hand? That we would depend on God for our provision and we're generous for others. We're just the conduit. There's not really anything any of us really need in here. If there's something you need in here, if you didn't have a meal this morning, see a deacon after service. When when Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, little flock, he's talking about us in community. He's talking about us in the church. He's talking about how we meet one another's needs. The second sin, he wasn't generous with Lazarus. God wasn't his help. He was his help. The rich man thought that he was his own salvation. Verse 26 defines the separation of the nameless and the named. 
I think I've read it about three times, but I'll read it again. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm is fixed. The separation of the nameless and the named. The language in this verse speaks of us, Abraham and Lazarus. And the rich man is you. The rich man presumed he was a child of Abraham. He presumed on the paradigm of the Pharisees that wealth is a mark of God's favor. Yet he had no faith. He still was trying to push the camel through the eye of a needle. And in death, these two men were separated. The rich man's begging has come to has come too late. These two verses sound the alarm of separation, a fixed eternity away from God, the significance of hell. The conscious, notice, the conscious, aware, tormented rich man is now begging, begging for relief from an eternal fire. As we stand here and we preach this morning, there are people in hell being tormented as we speak. Do you see the irony? Do you see how Jesus flips the paradigm of the law and the new covenant? Do you see how upside down this is? Do you see how the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ is the game changer? The rich man's begging comes too late. But now Lazarus is being comforted, he's being rewarded. He's being consoled. It's important to see in this life, we have the opportunity to change. We have the opportunity to repent. We have the opportunity to confess. Yet in the next life, our life is fixed. It's either fixed in hopelessness or it's fixed in reward. Finally, in verses 27 through 31. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they do, excuse me, lest they also come in this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. In the rich man's agony... Now he asks that Lazarus be sent as a witness. He's first sent in his mind in the, in the parable after something to cool his tongue. He's still sending Lazarus. He still thinks he's a servant. He asks that Lazarus be sent as a witness to his brothers. But Abraham says here, They've got the truth, 
you had the truth. This rich man is so deceived by his wealth and is in such agony. In the end, this man did not act on or believe in the truth of the Scripture. Heaven is for those who believe in what God has revealed in His Word and act on it. In his agony, he desires to alert his earthly brothers. He believes that the testimony of the dead is more reliable than Moses and the prophets. In other words, he's still disregarding the Word of God. He still thinks he's got it figured out. He's still relying on sending Lazarus. He does not believe in the sufficiency of the Scripture. He has no faith. Even in death, he is dishonoring God. The rich man ignores the godly design by appealing to Abraham instead of God. The parable makes the point that even another resurrection from the dead would not change the mind of an unbeliever. Hebrews 4.12 says, No amount of evidence alone can turn unbelief into faith. The Word of God has the power to do so. The Word of God has the power to do so. I want to look at just four brief points. If you want to write these down for your life group, then I'll take it slow for just a second. Excuse me. Number one, wealth is no mark of God's favor. Wealth is no mark of God's favor. Number two, Death is the great equalizer. Death is a great equalizer. Number three, we must understand the permanence of hell. And number four, the instruction of Moses... And the prophets is sufficient. Okay. Wealth is no mark of God's favor. Lazarus was poor, sick, and alone. Yet he was carried to Abraham's side. Wealth and notoriety don't count. Wealth doesn't give you a name. Wealth doesn't give you a pass. It gives you a responsibility. Wealth should call us to a kingdom action. We should use it for the kingdom and for others. The Pharisees used it for their status. Jesus labeled them lovers of money, and we should use it for others. Look with me in James chapter 2, verse 15. James chapter 2, verse 15. 
James gives us a great point on how we should think and how we should use our resources for others. James chapter 2 verse 15 says, If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? This rich man probably passed Lazarus beside his gate every day. Poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. Yet he had nothing to offer Lazarus and apparently nothing to say. In reality, the rich man was the loser, not Lazarus. How we see and how we use our resources could have an eternal impact on our lives. To sit in our wealth and assume that we are favored while we disregard those around us when we fail to meet the needs of those around us is a travesty for both us and for them. When we see the needs of others and we have the ability to respond and we don't, it demonstrates the lack of godliness in our own lives. It's like having the cure for cancer and being unwilling to share it. It's like having the cure for the Ebola virus and not telling anybody about it. We need to take a look around us, right on our doorstep, and move in a relationship, move in a relationship to be generous, to meet the needs of others. To share with others is pleasing to God. In Hebrews 13, 16, Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you're flipping pages, that was Hebrews 13, 16. I want you to remember the sins of the rich man. He didn't depend on God. He had no faith. And he wasn't generous with Lazarus. He wasn't generous with others. One of the things, if you'll remember, we know that Luke wrote Luke, but Luke also wrote Acts. And for me this week, at a personal level, what's happened is looking at this travel narrative from basically Luke 9, excuse me, Luke 9 to Luke 19, Jesus is teaching us to be followers of Jesus. It runs all the way through the rest of the gospel, and then Luke picks up in Acts, Acts 2.44, saying that all people who believed had things in common. Let's go to Luke, excuse me, to Acts 2.44 through 47. I want you to see what it looks like to have things in common. And deacons, this is something that we should be particularly attentive to as we try to meet the, the needs of others, provide relief. 
when we meet the needs of others, when we share with others, when we move in relational generosity, this is what happens. Starting in verse 44, Acts 2, 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. That's the action step. This is not theory. That's the action step, is to share. Death is the great equalizer. Both men died, and we're all going to die. Death is the common denominator for us all. Look at Ecclesiastes 3, 19 through 20. Ecclesiastes 3, 19 through 20. We're almost done. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and the man has no advantage over the beast, for all is in vanity, and all go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Seemingly in our context and in the context of this story, what happened to Lazarus seemed pretty pathetic. Yet the moment he died, he was gathered by a holy God to himself. He was carried to Abraham's side. Lazarus' name was written down in the book of life. But the rich man's name couldn't be found. He was nameless. A nameless rich man. Everyone else may have forgotten about Lazarus. But he was remembered by God. By nature, we're all afraid of death some way or another. Hebrews 9, 27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that, judgment. Number three, we must understand the permanence of hell. In verse 24, the rich man pleads for mercy. He is in agony. He failed to follow the instructions of Jesus and make friends for himself for eternity. I want you to see this. Please turn to Matthew 25. Turn to Matthew 25. We'll look at verses 41 through 42. Matthew 
Jesus is giving a visual, telling us what's about or what will happen in the final judgment. Starting in verse 41, he's, then, then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. Sounds like the parable, doesn't it? If we believe in the bliss of heaven, we must also believe in the torment of hell. As we share the good news of Christ with others, we must be willing to talk about hell. Finally, the instruction of Moses and the prophets is sufficient. Here Abraham makes for a very logical argument. If people aren't willing to listen to the scripture, then there's no particular light show is going to convince them. This is the real problem with the unrepentant. And believers who are on their and unbelievers who are on their way to hell. God has not failed to meet their need. The unbeliever, the unbeliever fails to receive what has been given. Ben, Scott, and Brad, through their study and their preaching this summer, we've looked at a number of faith photographs. We've looked at what it means to have faith in a lot of different circumstances. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In other words, the unrepentant don't have faith. We don't like what we can't see. Faith is unseen. It's not in our checking account. Without faith and without repentance, hell becomes a reality. Without faith and without repentance, hell becomes a reality. Repentance and faith are God's requirement of the new covenant for salvation. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Where have you been called out in repentance and faith today? Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you do give us time. You give us time to form relationships, to get to know you better, to walk in the preached word, a time to forgive, a time to worship, a time to enjoy our families, a time to enjoy you, Father. Father, I pray that we would be a people of repentance and faith. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. These things we ask and pray in his name. Amen.